holiday season, we hear the words joy, rejoicing, gladness a lot, right? I was given a Dunkin' Donuts coffee the other day. These words joy, right in that cup, like right in my face. And just reminded that during this season, that's what we're encouraged, pushed to feel, you know? And when we're younger, it doesn't um, require that much work. I remember as a kid, for me, all you had to do was give me a candy cane at school, um, turn on Rudolph, Frosty, you know, just show me those things and just uh, play some songs. And I'm all in. Uh, I'm, I'm one happy kid. But as we get older, maybe you can resonate with this that just because we hear about joy, just because we sing and talk about joy, doesn't automatically put us in that holiday festive mood or make us happy right away. And for me, as I think about this to myself, if Christmas and essentially Christianity are supposed to be about joy, gladness, then am I truly happy based on my day-to-day experience in Christ? And ask yourself this as well. Is your Christianity truly joyful? Is there evidence of joy in your life? Or have we just grown, you know, as we get older, to just put on an appearance of it? Have we become good at faking it? And putting on just a happy face, especially at church and with family uh, during uh, the holiday season. And most days, I think for a lot of us, the sad answer is no. There really isn't a lot of natural reasons uh, to be happy. Maybe even this morning you've come to service. It's probably a hectic morning, just trying to get ready. Another uh, Sunday morning to get ready for. Maybe lately work's been stressful. Maybe neighbors uh, have been difficult, getting on your nerves. Students, exams probably just suck the life out of you. Uh, barely, barely alive. You know, if you uh, happen to go shopping over the weekend, on panic Saturday, there's holiday gridlock, traffic, and it's just maddening. No reason to be joyful. Maybe you're stressed out over NFL playoff scenarios uh, to see what's going to happen uh, in the next coming weeks. And uh, maybe this experience of joy or even just coming to church uh, is something very, very far away. Maybe you've been unhappy for quite some time. And the question to ask ourselves is why? Why? Why does our Christian lives lack joy so many days? Why am I not happy? And maybe that'll even push us further to ask ourselves, am I pursuing joy and happiness in the right way, in the right places. You know, from as far back as when we were young, every choice we ever made, we were taught, you know, seek the highest form of happiness, that the pursuit of uh, happiness in life is what should drive our lives until we find it. You know, and God knows this. I think he's well aware of this. He understands us because he is all about joy. At the heart of the Christian message, the gospel, is supposed to be Real, abounding joy. He commands rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord. He wants our hearts to be glad, to be filled with songs, praises of delight. And if we've been looking at all the wrong places and been settling for cheaper joys, then maybe we are in the right place today at this point, specific point in our lives, if we're struggling to sustain that joy and to have that joy because Eternal life-giving joy is one of the greatest gifts of Christmas. A joy that we read about floods our lives, that takes us to new heights and carries us through even times of pain, hardship, and difficulty. And it's a joy that you and I can find, we can uh, find even today, if we simply open our hearts to Jesus Christ. So... uh, I only have one point today, so I hope you're okay with that. 
<laughs> Merry Christmas. Uh, this will uh, flow pretty quickly. Uh, we're all, there you go. The joy of Christmas comes from the good news of Jesus entering a world filled with bad news. The joy of Christmas comes from the good news of Jesus entering as a baby into a world filled with bad news. So we'll, uh, this is a familiar narrative, this passage. It won't take long to go through this. So a group of shepherds uh, by night tending their sheep. Uh, <clears throat> they, these shepherds, if you know uh, something about them, they're outsiders, uh, never really part of the inner religious activity of all that went on, even in the outskirts of Bethlehem where a lot of religious activity went on. And so there they were. Uh, their lives not really headed anywhere. Uh, once you're a shepherd, you're always a shepherd. There really isn't this sense that you're going to advance. There's no upward mobility. And so there they were, living their lives as they were, uh, and out of nowhere, uh, a flash of great light, uh, the glory of the Lord shining around them. And instead of reacting with joy, uh, which you would think, they were filled with fear. Uh, their darkness exposed. Perhaps their fears exposed. Uh, perhaps their sins exposed. And not only that, uh, but the world and the society that they came from, God's people. This was a dark time for them, too. Um, the world that Jesus entered into, as far as um, you know, the Jewish people, uh, his people, was one marked by uh, despair, uh, fear, unfulfilled promises. Uh, they were still waiting for the promised deliverer, the Messiah, to come. They were living in, as exiles uh, in a land ruled by the Romans, and it was not their true home. They were still waiting and waiting uh, for the Messiah. And every now and then, someone would come up on the scene promising to be that Savior, but they would just die in battle like everyone else, uh, kind of coming and going, like quarterbacks. They just come and go. You know, they promise, but they, they end up being scrubs and all that, and they come and go. And it got tiring and weary, as this would happen for years. And the longer this period of silence went on, the more this collective feeling of wondering, will God ever come? Will salvation ever come? And there was nothing but bad news uh, pervading his people. And so that's why the first words from the angel were, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Do you see that phrase there? Great joy is connected to good news. And if you're lacking joy today, you need to return your hearts, your minds, and souls to the good news that comes from Christ. And what makes that good news so powerful is when, as my main point here today is, it has to be juxtaposed, placed right next to all the bad news that came before in order for that joy to be great. Good news doesn't just exist by itself. If all you receive was good news every day, what makes it good if it's not something uh, that stands in contrast uh, to anything bad you've ever experienced. You know, when you expect the worst, I don't care what the situation is, with school, uh, work, health, sports, romance, uh, that feeling of relief, you know, when the worst is averted is one of the most glorious feelings in the world. There's joy. I have a lot of students, uh, current and old, they always ask for prayer before, right before a job interview. It's like, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to say here. And they go through it. Uh, and they usually, it works out. Most times it always works out. But they always come out of it. They're like, I, man, I bombed that interview. You know, I don't know what I said. You know, my English, I just forgot how to speak it, you know, just for those few moments. You know, me, job, want, now, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, 
And they expected the worst. So I ain't getting this. Then they get it, like they always do. And they're just, they're dancing, you know, joyful. Or someone you love, or maybe you, have uh, been sick. Uh, I know lately I've had family members with, with health issues. Uh, and um, they go in for some tests. You're waiting for the results. And you know, maybe perhaps that you haven't been uh, taking good care of your health, uh, not eating well, not exercising, doing things that mess up your body, uh, very careless, neglecting uh, what you're supposed to do. Uh, and expect the worst. You go in. And... and um, waiting to hear bad news, but the tests come back, you're clean, uh, you're in the clear, and that relief just gives you joy. Let's go eat some cheesesteaks. <laughs> Let's go <laughs> celebrate it. Uh, end up uh, hurting yourself even more. Likewise, in the gospel, uh, the greatest joy is felt when the worst, the worst news has been lifted, the heaviest burden of sin, the doom of punishment and condemnation before God. We know we're unworthy before a holy, righteous, and perfect God. We expect judgment. We expect shame, but instead we get mercy. And how could we not be joyful and happy for what God has done to secure and accomplish that for us? The happiest people are slaves who've been set free, people who have been living subject to the will of another person forever and ever and expecting to live that way every day, but when they're set free, there's celebration, deliverance. People falsely accused of bad crimes, expecting any day to face incarceration, punishment, perhaps execution, but at the last minute, they're found innocent and they're free to go. Such reasons for joy. Hell-bound sinners making a U-turn. Heaven-bound saints the joy that God has given to us. And if we don't reflect on this enough, maybe that's the reason for our unhappiness. Maybe we're going about finding joy and happiness by trying to get more of what we think makes us happy or getting more of what we already have. Or maybe we go about finding joy because there's enough in my life that makes me unhappy. Let me forget about this. Let me get rid of these things. Let me bury it. How many of us do that? We instinctively respond to difficulties, challenges, conflicts, humiliation by choosing to ignore it and not deal with it. You know, how many relationship conflicts are like that? How many marriage problems are like that? How many family issues are like that? When things are going well for so long, all of a sudden these problems come up and it's such a painful hassle to deal with it head on. So let's just turn to something else to forget about it instead of dealing with it. Let's drown it out. Let's suppress it. Let's turn to something else, something lighter. Let's go shopping. Let's eat good food. Let's go drinking. Let's turn to mindless entertainment. Sometimes just on our own, we'll turn. Our minds will go down bad paths of lust, pornography, indulgence, overspending, overeating, shopping, just to forget about those things for a while. And what happens? We feel worse. If you think about it, after going down that path, we're even farther away from the joy that we originally set out to seek. And I don't think that's what God wants for us, his heart. What we learn from Advent is the pathway to true joy is by dealing with the bad news head on and seeing the light that comes about, that shines in the midst of that darkness. It's admitting that you are indeed a lost and helpless sinner and finding the joy of forgiveness, acceptance, and adoption 
into God's family. It's when those conflicts come up, you know, and it's, it's particularly in stressful seasons like the holidays. It's like we end up being around people, our loved ones, and they bring the worst out of us. We bring the worst out of them, and we just want to just leave, slam the door, you know, seek out some quietness, but maybe the path to joy is uh, sticking with it. Wholesome resolution as we uh, talk as we extend mercy, as we extend forgiveness. It's confronting insecurities, right? I know for a lot of us, including myself, we try to really, really bury and not show and hide those things. But taking the time out to deal with it. It's like, why is this a source of fear in my life? And if we stick there long enough, we can trace it to idols. And that's a painful process, but when you admit that you have sin and pride underneath, we experience the joy of grace and healing in Christ when we turn our hearts to him. Maybe this has been a year of humiliating failures or rejections, outcasts. Instead of drowning all that out uh, by getting drunk and indulging in cheaper pleasures, maybe we bring that, that pain and all those tears before God. We search our hearts. We ask ourselves those questions. Why am I taking this so hard? And as we surrender our hearts to God, we find deep peace as we enter into the embrace of our Savior. It's entering into the mess of this world, all the tragedies, brokenness, injustice. We see that even this weekend, this uh, huge tsunami hitting the shores of Indonesia again. Just things happening over and over again that makes us pause to wonder where really is hope in this world. And I know a lot of people try to forget about that. It's like, why dwell on those things that only make us more depressed? Let's turn to other things. But maybe the pathway to joy for us is finding meaning and helping bringing light to do something to make a difference, supporting, going out there, making a difference, shining the light as Christ did by acting in love and seeing the God of joy bring about redemption through all that we do. Christians, these are the things that were meant to be your joy, the joy for this world, a joy that stands in sharp contrast against the chaos and the sadness that we look around, the ugliness of all that we see around us. It's a joy that's greater, more powerful, enduring uh, than anything else that we seek out materially or in our flesh. Uh, in John chapter 16, uh, Jesus, he's in a room uh, with his beloved disciples, and he gives them some bad news that he's no longer going to be with them, and that they're in for some rough times. He says words like, the world hated me, so they're going to hate you too. No servant is greater than the master. But then he says to them, he gives them this promise. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but, uh, but the world will re rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. He gives them a promise, and he lived out that promise by what he accomplished for them. And then he gives this illustration here. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Okay? Some of you had firsthand experience of this. 
know, our pastoral staff just popped out two babies this month, so I see it right in front of me, in front, in front of their eyes. The pains of labor and birth, physical, emotional anguish, all fading away. And you see the smile in their weary eyes just as they hold that newborn. And all that pain only led to enhance the joy, the thrilling joy of their new gift, the gift of life. And connecting this to today's message is remembering that the sorrow and the pain and the darkness are temporary, but there is an end to it. And God will often call us, hey, you want joy? I've got to bring you through some painful steps right now in order for you to get to that joy. You need to climb uphill a little bit to get to that mountaintop and experience the joy of Christ in fullness. You're all probably aware of uh, what's recently been going on in South Asia with all the uh, tightened security and persecution. Just two weeks ago, uh, in a Chinese church in Chengdu, um, authorities showed up on a Sunday morning, arrested and detained a uh, hundred members of this church, including uh, the pastor, uh, his wife, elders. Uh, I mean, this is the world we live in where it's dark and difficult for Christians in some places to live out their faith in the open. And the last elder to be detained uh, and arrested, he left behind a handwritten letter uh, to encourage the church on how to respond. And uh, I was really, really just moved uh, by the words he wrote. Um, The first thing he wrote was, Beloved brothers and sisters, this is to his church, do you have joy? Are you rejoicing in the fact that you are suffering with Christ because of the church? Do you know that we are blessed? The Lord is bestowing on us poor people today treasures of glory from heaven. There you see it, the bad news and the good news, us poor people. The Lord is bestowing on us weak people comfort from heaven. The Lord Jesus is shining on us blind people his great light. Those of us, brothers and sisters, standing on the front lines of the gospel war will earn great spiritual riches. Not easy things to, th- to feel or experience when oh, your lives are being threatened. Uh, later in the note, um, he wrote, um, May the Lord give us great joy and true hope and make us strong through reliance on him. How wonderful it would be if, because of this suffering, we might be able to give off the sweet fragrance of the gospel. We are willing to have 200, 300, or 500 people arrested and imprisoned. But may the whole world know that we are joyfully willing to receive this persecution for the sake of our faith. As horrible as that situation is in church, may we remain in prayer uh, for our fellow brothers and sisters around the world who are going uh, through this, um, this, this suffering, this very difficult situation. But this perspective, I believe, reflects the promise of this passage. And it's so timely that this is something we reflect upon during Advent season. That that joy we have in Christ, we can know here and now, but it will only serve to in this pain we go through. All that's evil and bad will turn to good for his glory. And one day only magnify the joy he promises us that will be given to us in full one day. But there's more for us to reflect on and remember. Um, You know, this um, Christmas season, 
we celebrate the fact that our Savior was born, but we also remember what he came to do. Remember the mission he came to accomplish. And uh, this, I um, got this from an Advent devotional that I started reading last year, and I just opened it up again this year because it's just right there on my shelf, and it was just reminding me uh, of how if we want to be truly joyful during Christmas, it requires a little bit of thought of why Christians uh, have a greater joy than anything the world offers. And he um, encourages us this way. He says, commit yourself to be a sad celebrant. Let your joy at what your Savior has gifted you with be mixed with grief at what it cost him. Remember this Christmas that you are celebrating the birth of the man of sorrows. Remember as you celebrate that the one whom you celebrate enjoy none of the things that likely make up your celebration, a house, beautiful things, fine food. This Christmas, may your holiday joy be shaped and colored by remembering that you have eternal reason for joy because of this, the birth, the life, the death, and resurrection of your humble, willing, sufficient Savior. Amen? This is, this is my sermon. You just look at that. <laughs> if you're not a Christian here today, or if you've been struggling with your faith for a while, I mean, this is, you came to the right place today. Uh, maybe your life has been, or your view of Christianity, even as you're trying to understand what it really is. Maybe it's one that's kind of stiff, boring, joyless. Uh, maybe it's something that's kept you uh, from really wanting to dive in. Uh, not to mention, you probably see Christians around you, uh, miserable, <laughs> unhappy with their lives. Um, and what I really want to point out to, to us today about Christianity and what Christmas reminds us is that Christianity is intensely personal. Right? It's not just uh, agreeing to a belief. When the angels showed up to the shepherds that night, uh, it wasn't just some screen with a confession to repeat. You know? Thank God. I know if you come to a Presbyterian church, that's what it feels like sometimes. But it wasn't something to recite. It wasn't commandments. It wasn't a set of rules to live up to. Put that in your pocket and say, I'm good. Now I can just go on and live my life the way I usually do. No. There was a baby, a real living human being that they could finally relate to. Not, not some set of laws that were inscribed in an ancient text but someone breathing and living. That's what the incarnation was. And it was an invitation for a people who were trapped in fear and despair. And maybe for us today who feel like we're so spiritually hardened and dead, come and look at a baby. And we know how we react when we see a real newborn baby. It's like, ooh, you know, it's like, it's like you kind of turn and say, all, make all these weird noises and all, something comes alive in you when you see new life. But looking at your Savior, uh, before whom we once felt unworthy. That's what Christmas and incarnation is all about. He came because we stood condemned before a holy God. We had gone astray, but he came to be for us the perfect sacrifice. I was holding my nephew just a few uh, weeks ago, tiny. He got fat now, but he's just tiny one. Grew really fast. I don't know what they're feeding him, but um, I was reflecting on that in my Advent devotional. It's like, wow, God, you really, really became this small. You know, 
the eternal God. The God who has no beginning and no end. The Bible says the heavens can't contain him. The temple couldn't contain him. And he became helpless. He needed to be picked up, wiped, changed. He needed to learn to walk, to speak. Yet he was perfect. Because only by living a perfect life could he one day hang on that cross as an acceptable sacrifice to a holy God who had every reason to rain down his wrath on a world of darkness. The bad news. He came as a person on a personal mission from a personal savior. And he says, if you're lost in your life, you're wandering around, you have no joy, come and restore your personal relationship with your savior. And I want to give you that invitation today. It's not just an invitation to sing carols. It's not just an invitation to, to, to force your mind and your heart to some, uh, some sort of emotional experience because of the holiday, but to open your heart in faith. Come and behold him. Come and behold him. Stop turning to other things to drown out your sorrows and problems. Come with your sorrows and problems and find a solution that endures forever. I know it's so easy to turn, to, turn on the Christmas playlist, look at Christmas lights, and I don't, for me, I, that, all that puts me in a good mood too. I actually have a really nice playlist I have that I've made through the years. And it's nice, you know? Um, it's nice to listen to that. It's nice to see some of the nice lights in the city walk, go around, and um, it actually temporarily makes you forget about some of the problems um, that life brings. But you know that eventually those lights have to turn off and eventually the songs end. And something else needs to endure in your heart. Joy isn't found in those things. It's not necessarily found in nice gifts or vacation after vacation just to get away from things. It's about coming to the place where the majesty and the love of heaven came down and put on flesh and blood and says, come and get something better. And after you receive this in faith, then go Go sing, go eat, go make as much good food as you want. Share it with me. Share the joy. And once all that has taken place, even as the winter days get colder, the love of God and the joy of Christ can endure. He died and rose again to secure it for us, and we can walk and live in it forevermore. Friends, isn't this what you want? Uh, I think it's something all of our hearts desire, and we've got to stop looking for it in the wrong places and come into his presence today. We'll come to the table today uh, as we're reminded of joy and ending uh, in Christ. Um, just to close, I just, uh, oh, yeah, this is right too. <laughs> the shepherd's reaction. They, they saw, they beheld, they knew nothing uh, of what God's plan was, and we, here we see their response. Glorifying and praising God for all they heard and seen. Their lives were never the same again. They went from some fearful life of just darkness to one of celebration. And that's our invitation today. So now I have just a couple of practical words of exhortation to you all, just in response to this. Not only to um, embrace the bad news, to find the good news in Christ, to look forward ahead to the joy that God gives us, but some things we can do along the way. Because every day we find reasons to not have joy, to be unhappy. And maybe these are things we can work on this season. Number one, maybe we can learn how to delay our gratification uh, at this point in our lives by putting off what you don't need right away. 
We don't need every nice earthly thing to be in our hands now. You know, you know when we were growing up, like, Mom, Dad, can I have this? No. It's like, okay, <laughs> you have the money, I don't. You have to live with it, right? And as we get older, we have a little more freedom. We have a little more power. We have online shopping. You, know? you can literally sit in bed in your pajamas with the laptop open and get what you want now, right? Without even changing your pants. <laughs> and there's no reason not to. There's something new out. You know, usually us guys, we very visually lured to bigger TV screens and nicer phones. And <laughs> we just want it. It's there. We can get it. New restaurant comes out. New movie. We've got to be always the first ones there. You know? It's so hard to put off uh, our joy. But <clears throat> and more than just being some, something that's good for our character, uh, but maybe if we do that, that one thing we want now, we put it off. Maybe there's a little bit more room in our hearts to allow God to dig deeper, to give us what we truly, truly need. More fellowship with him. Instead of being distracted by nice things, uh, we can, without distraction, meditate on all that God has done for us. And there's a more strengthening, life-giving joy that can abound. How about getting rid of unhealthy comparison and competition in your life? These, these are the thieves of joy. And I, I, that's, that's a quote that people often post, and they're exactly right. You know, that's the way our lives are. That's the way we are. We turn anything into a competition, right? And we're miserable. We're miserable because we always need to win. We need to outdo uh, the people we're competing with because that is our sense of joy. That's our sense of worth, you know? As we get older, it doesn't go away. We turn anything into competition. Who's smarter? Who has a better job? Who has a nicer house? Who has a better physique? Actually, as you get older, that, that doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> you just kind of age together. Who do the kids like better? Who gets more respect by what we put on display, what we've accomplished in the years we've been alive? For the younger generation, I know there's some younger youth kids here. It's just ridiculous how social media turns everything into a competition, all these internet challenges. I was horrified when I read about kids eating Tide Pod detergents because of a challenge, and they're being sent to the emergency room. What is that? All right? Parents, guard your kids against that stuff, please. That's, that's ridiculous. And it enters into our spiritual lives. Who has a better ministry? Who knows who speaks better? Who prays? Oh, on and on and on. And we're obsessed with it because the, just with the winning, it, it's just the pride, the respect that comes with it. It's intoxicating. And the fear of losing, you know? I know what's going on in Philadelphia. You win a championship. Joy is very short-lived because of the misery of the fear of losing it. You don't want to give that away to some other scrub team at the end of the season because it doesn't deliver. None of those earthly things deliver. Uh, <clears throat> but that's the world into which Jesus came, a world that, where God promises a glorious ending to our lives where only God wins when we end up in his presence one day, and we'll be happy for that. We declare him the victor. And if we believe in him in faith, we share in the spoils of that victory. And that leads me to say that it doesn't end there. We also look forward. For that first Christmas Advent, there was a buildup of sadness, anxiety, restlessness. But there's a second coming, a second Advent coming one day, and there's a different kind of buildup. It's one of hope, longing, and anticipation. 
So this is reason number two to have joy besides uh, looking at the bad news and seeing God deliver for us. Right? Uh, and Matt Chandler, recently he uh, posted this on his Desiring God uh, post about Advent. It says, even for our broader society, this holiday season is built on anticipation. Over time, you roll out the lights, put up the tree, buy presents, all anticipating Christmas Day. But we believed, we believed that the same God who promised Jesus would show up the first time to win and save his people said that Jesus would return to bring them home. We celebrate the first Christmas because we know that there's a second coming. In the first advent, Jesus comes as a baby to inaugurate his kingdom. But when Christ returns in the second advent, he will come again to judge the living and the dead to make all things new. When he returns, Christ will transform hearts and ultimately the world. He finally and completely will fix what has been broken. And I really love this last sentence here. The full womb, which led to a full crib, which led to an empty tomb, should fill us with a great joy for this simple reason. He is coming back. Are you lacking joy today in your Christian life? Come out of this world. Look back at the darkness and misery that God has saved you from. And look forward to the promise of unhindered eternal joy. That is yours. It's guaranteed yours one day because he will indeed return again. And this time not as a baby, but as a ruling, reigning king forevermore. When you go home today, uh, sit around the table for your holiday dinners. Uh, as you spend time with family, uh, commute to your work, some of you the day after Christmas, as the days get colder, the new year comes, things can probably get dreary easily again if you had other sources of joy. But if you repeat this to yourself so that your heart repeats the sounding joys of these promises, that joy will be your strength, your power, and that joy nobody will steal from you. No human being, not even yourself, not Satan. And at the end of John 16, I'll leave us with this today. Jesus ends that discourse by saying, so also you have sorrow now. You think about where the disciples were. But I will see you again. I'm coming again. Your hearts will rejoice and no, no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Friends, Christians, have you asked in Jesus' name for joy? Have you gone to the Father who sent his Son to be for us our joy, to receive with open hearts all that he's given? When we're weak, when we're broken, maybe... We don't have because we haven't asked. We haven't surrendered. We haven't worshipped. And so the call of Christmas today is to do this, uh, to enter into his presence with confidence, with humility, and with longing, with expectation, because a God who is faithful has promised that your sorrow will turn to joy. And all you need to do is reflect on all that he's done in securing our salvation redemption and waiting for his 
ultimate fulfillment of his promise to come again, to come to a place where we can behold and say joy to the world because the Savior reigns today. We're going to come to the table today, so why don't we uh, bow our heads and just uh, in a few uh, moments of reflection and prayer.